0: All right, good morning, good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from uh, Matthew 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, so right in the middle. If you ever think Josh's sermons are too long, this is Jesus' sermon of three whole chapters in the Bible, so read that someday on your own. But uh, here we go, it's all on prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word for today.
1: Again, we're gonna dive in, but before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks that we get to call you Father. Lord, that you are not just a distant God uh, who's doing his own thing, but you are a God of relationships. A God who wants a relationship with each and every one of us individually, but not for us as individuals, but for us as community. Lord, that we can move beyond our own selfish thoughts, our own selfish ways of living, and learn to live in the family of God as your sons and your daughters. Lord, as we continue this Advent season, as we continue to reflect on what Jesus brought in his incarnation, Lord, we pray that you speak to us. We say this all in your son's a precious name, amen. Again, we are in a series called, And He Shall Be Called. And as we go up to Christmas Eve, we're looking at the, some of the Old Testament names, specifically from Isaiah, of who jesus was and when we get to christmas eve we're going to actually look at all of the new testament names of jesus but before we get to the today's name and kind of what he brought and where he came from and why he did what he did we have to back up a little bit again last week i was supposed to give this first part of the message and then uh god said no you're going to stay home and i said okay uh and AJ did a great job but backing up a little bit on names specifically Uh, in america names don't mean quite what they mean in most of the rest of the world and certainly throughout history, right? When we normally think about naming our children or naming our pets, as parents, we look down and we try to figure out, okay, what names sound kind of cool, right? What what names work with our last name, right? What name is going to make sure that they don't get made fun of when they are in elementary school and kindergarten, right? We have all these questions. And so we've got books of names, a lot of us may have named our children after individuals in the Bible. Right? My, my parents named me after Joshua from the book of Joshua. Right? They liked both the name and they liked the individual. Right? We may name kids after... I've got a friend who literally named their son Oliver after uh, the Green Arrow. And they just loved that show. They loved that character. And they're like, oh, he's going to be a son, and we're going to name him this. Right? And so we come up with all these creative names for how we want to name but in Old Testament and in the New Testament, names have a much more significant purpose. When a mother and a father would name their child, it was a way to bless them. It was a way to instill in them, this is what we hope that God does in your life as you grow older. It was a prayer over their children. But even more so than that, when God names someone in the Bible, it goes beyond just a blessing. It it goes beyond just a prayer. When God names someone in the Bible, he is actually speaking reality into their life. And you see this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Abram becomes Abraham because he will be the father of many nations, and so I'm changing your name to literally say that. Jacob becomes Israel, Because he will be the people of God, and Israel literally means you who wrestle with God. Because God knew that his people were going to wrestle with him. Just like I wrestle with God sometimes, just like you and your families wrestle with God sometimes. Simon, the disciple, becomes Peter. Because Peter meant rock, foundation. And God and Jesus says to Peter, and I will build my church Upon you. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, names mean something deeper. It's actually God speaking reality into existence. And so when in Isaiah, the prophecy of this child that will come, there's a bunch of names that are given. And he shall be called. Again, this comes from Isaiah. Here we go. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Uh, and the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. War is going to end, is what the prophecy says. And will be fuel for the fire. Isaiah's promise of a new day. Isaiah is speaking to a culture that is wrestling with itself at the time. Does it kind of sound like us? A culture that's at war with one another. A culture that's forgotten God. And Isaiah promises to God's people, God's not done yet. The anger, the bitterness, the division, the weapons used for war, they're all going to go away, is the promise. And why are they going to go away? Well... For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. This sounds kind of familiar, right? And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and here are the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over all his kingdom, establishing and upholding his justice, the biblical outcomes, that's what justice means, and righteousness, right relationships. From that time until forever. Because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He says, this child that is coming shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's interesting for me, as I read through Scripture, every year you you see different things, and there are sometimes I see things, and I'm like, how did I miss this? Have you ever ever had that? Like you're reading through maybe the Gospels, and you're like, how did I never see this specific verse? Or how did it never hit me this way? This is one of those years where it hit me that way. Wonderful God, or Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you know what Isaiah is prophesying right here? The Trinity, right? Because Jesus isn't the Father. In fact, Jesus says, I'm not the counselor. Instead, in Isaiah, what you have here is the promise of a triune God. This child is going to bring a very specific type of Savior and healer and counselor. And so last week, we looked at what it looked like to have a wonderful counselor. What the Holy Spirit did and does in and through the life of God's kids. And today, we're going to look at who is this mighty God, this everlasting Father. And what I love about both of these things is if you put one or the other, there would be a limitation of who our God is, what our God is doing. And yet, when you have them together you have this beautiful, powerful, intimate relationship that each and every one of us, as God's sons and daughters, get to have within the family of God. And it's important to have that mighty God. Because we live in a broken world, right? We can admit that. Our families need a mighty God. We live in a world with things like cancer, we live in a world with things like divorce. We live in a world where brothers and sisters, parents and children, where there's hurt, and sometimes around this type of year, it's weird, because all of the emotions happen at the same time, right? We've got these beautiful lights out, the songs are, we get all these good warm and fuzzy feelings, and yet so often it's also where we see the biggest brokenness, past hurts, past challenges, past problems, and the reality that we don't just need a God who we can cry out to and we feel good internally. We need a God who can actually do something, can actually change something. And so the fact that Scripture says that we do not have a, just a distant God who is um, on up to the task, we have a God who can work for his people. And as I was thinking through scripture and examples of what this mighty God looks like, the story of David always sits hard with me. The story of David is of a king. It's actually from the line of Jesus. And it's of a king who is told, you will be the future king. The problem is that there is a current king in power. And like most people, when you get power, you don't want to let it go. And so King Saul did not like the idea that his replacement was already in the wings. And so Saul sought to kill David. He actually had to go on the run. He was living in the hills and in the wilderness. And David writes a psalm as this is going on. In fact, there was one point where David is trapped in a cave, Saul's outside, and as soon as Saul figures out that David's in this cave, he's done. And so he cries out to God, and God rescues him. But he writes a psalm, Psalm 18, to express what happened from a heavenly perspective, from a mighty God interacting with him and rescuing him. And and this is what he says in Psalm 18. Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, addressed the song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies, specifically the hand of Saul, right? And he says this, I called out to the Lord who is worthy of praise, who saved me from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. Do you ever feel that way? What's happening in life maybe with work or with your body, in your family, in our country, that it feels like you're just getting coiled around, like you're just getting bound up, like you can't move, it, it, it's constricting. That, that's literally what David was going through, right? He's not having an emotional moment here. He is literally about to die. That was his experience, and he calls out to this mighty God, right? He goes on. So in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help, and from his temple, he heard my cry, came before him into his ears. It says, life was broken. I was on death's door. I was on the knife's edge. And so I called out to God. And if that was the end of the psalm, I cry out to God and hope for the best. That's not a mighty God who cares about David. But instead, the psalm goes on, and I want you just to hear these words and reflect on what it looks like from a heavenly perspective when we, as God's kids, call out to him. The earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. God heard one of his kids in distress. You, as parents, when one of your children is in danger, when one of your children is being oppressed or marginalized, how do you respond? You know that visceral emotion that you have? maybe someone that you love, a friend is being hurt. That emotion, that righteous anger, indignation of this isn't right, that is how God responds. But when God responds, the earth shakes. Because he is a mighty God. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies. With great bolts of lightning he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, at the blast from your nostrils. He does something. He changes something. He fights for his people. He fights for David. Then he doesn't just leave him there. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. The spiritual image of the God of the universe hearing David's cry. So he fights for David. He changes the circumstances from David, and then he, he reaches down and says, and says, I've got you. And then he ends with this. He says, they confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my great support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Actually, those, those, those are heavy powerful beautiful truths in the day of his distress a mighty god was in david's corner and he rescued him because god delighted in him ex-church god delights in you and when there is trouble in your family at work at school In the world, when you are in distress and you feel those cords starting to bind you up and you call out to a mighty God, he hears, he moves, he rescues because he delights in you. Not because we were good enough, not because we built a stairway to heaven, but because heaven came down in this child that was born not that we wrapped our arms around god but he wrapped his arms around us and says i love you and i delight in you and i want you to be a part of my family and i am a mighty god who has not abandoned you and i'm I'm not done yet it is very good news that we have a mighty god but the good news doesn't stop there because it's not just a god that we have Because other religions have mighty gods. Muslims believe Allah is a mighty god. The Greeks, they had Zeus. He could throw lightning bolts. Right? But they were distant gods. We don't have a distant god. We don't just have a mighty god. We have a god who says, I am your father. And that father. is someone who cares intimately about each and every one of us. That he wants wants to know how your day is. He wants to know what you're excited about. He wants to know what you're scared about. He wants to know your deepest dreams, your deepest fears. Not only do we have the 600-pound gorilla in our corner, we have a father in our corner cares about us and that that changes our dynamic with this God that we have it changes how we can come before him that we don't have to come in fear and trembling but we get to come in a relationship of trust and respect and love and one of the things I love about the Gospels specifically that Sermon on the Mount that Grant mentioned If you look through how Jesus refers to God, Father is the big one. He says God, he says Lord, but over and over and over again, as he's talking about this God that we have, he refers to him as Father. And that changes, again, the paradigm that we see who our Father is and what our Father is doing. And it's in that context that we come to God in a different way, with a different posture, with a different hope, a different expectation. So I just want to read through a couple of these little vignettes of how Jesus refers to our Father and what our response is to that, how we live in that, how it changes how we see others, how it changes how we see ourselves, how it changes how we relate to God. So again, starting off, but I tell you, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, guys, in the same way that God loves everybody, whether or not they quote-unquote deserve it, I I want you to love everyone. That, that's how you live as children of the Father. That's how you live in this family. And, you know, I, I have a family that loves me, but, but we put the fun in dysfunctional, right? We, we all can learn some unhealthy patterns from our family. Jesus is setting a new rhythm for God's family. He's saying, y'all, I know how the world does it. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But the problem with that is you all end up blind, it never stops so if you want to be children of your father love everybody he goes on he says then this is how you should pray and I love this and one of the deepest truths of the Lord's prayer is yes the father part but the plural part our father not Pastor Josh's father Not an individual father, but a father of a family. And so the Lord's Prayer is not just praying for me and mine. It's praying for ours. It literally starts off moving us from a selfish individual perspective when we come to our Father in prayer. And instead moves it to, God, I am praying for my whole family here. Because they are my brothers and sisters. Because of what Christ accomplished on the cross we're a different kind of family. And so the fact that he literally builds that into the Lord's Prayer, that it starts off with this plural corporate family, but not our mighty God, our Father, because he still is your individual Father. And just like those of us who have multiple kids, we we don't look down and say, okay, well, you're my favorite, so I'll listen to you today, and the other three, I'm gonna margin. No, no, no. Good fathers, good mothers, good parents care about all their kids the same, and that is who we have. And so it connects the intimate relationship we have with the corporate reality that it's not just about us, but it's about what the family is doing. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus continues, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and your body more than clothes? Why, look at the birds of the field. They don't sow or reap or sow in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He talks about a Father who provides. You know, all of us can get wrapped up at times in the concerns of the world. The worries, the fears of, am I going to be provided for? Do we have enough? Are we stable? And Jesus points and he goes, There's a mighty God who's taking care of the creation. And that mighty God is your Father, and I trust and trust me, he cares more about you than he does about the birds. In another section of scripture, he says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. He knows every moment of your life. And this Father is guiding and protecting and providing for you. The promise of daily bread. Enough for today. But again, in the promise of daily bread, it's a plural. And give us today our daily bread not just me, not just my family, but your entire family of God, our brothers and sisters, Father, provide for us and the promise that he will because he is a good father. And then Jesus continues, and he says, and which of you, if asked for bread, will give him a stone or if a fish will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, we we, we come from a world where even the best fathers aren't perfect. The good news is we have a Father who is, who promises to be there, who promises to care. Who wants to hear what you want. Wants you to bring those to him and wants to unveil what he has for you. And he shall be called wonderful counselor. We have a God who meets us in our emotional state. We have a God who meets us in the chaos. He shall be called a mighty God. We have a God who can actually change things. And we have a God who is an everlasting father. Father who promises to be in relationship with us, but not just as individuals, as his whole family, and the blessings and the promise of that. And that's why Christ came. That's why, again, we re-enter the story of Christmas. And at the joy, and of the comfort, and the peace that comes with a God who, when he declares, this is my name, he is declaring reality in your life. He's declaring reality in Ask y'all to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord. Heavenly Father, our Father. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the chaos of this world that we forget about the reality of who you are. Lord, and that, that those fears, those anxieties, that anger starts to swell up inside of us and it comes out weird and sideways in our relationships It comes out weird and sideways with what we do with our resources it comes out weird and sideways with what text messages we send or what media we consume father lord we forget that you are a god who is still working a god who can change things and so we trust in the things of this world that let us down And Father, we forget that you want a relationship with us. That you want us to be in your family and learning the ways of our family. Lord, the way of love in in spite of hate, the way of peace instead of chaos, the way of hope in spite of the lies of this world so we confess our sin to you, but we are bold to confess because you have called us your children. You have promised the forgiveness of sins, and then you send us out to live with you in the reality of who you are as a good God who loves his kids. Let we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We continue our worship.